Bible reading is from Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Before you settle completely, um, could you humour me by reaching into your purse or your handbag or your pocket and just pull out a coin? Doesn't have to, you don't have to look for the right one. <clears throat> I'm not going to nick it just yet. What I would like you to do is just to hold that coin, okay? And we'll come back to it in a short while. So don't think later on, why on earth is he asking me to hold this? I am actually going to mention it in a, in a short while. I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you so much uh, on behalf of the people of uh, Cho and the people, the beneficiaries that they work with, the people uh, who live in Cambodia who are beneficiaries of Cho. Thank you on behalf of Tear Fund um, for all that you do for praying um, in your connection, your relationship uh, with Cho. Thank you too for your generosity. And it's been really exciting for us, very encouraging, uh, to be in touch with Graham and to hear um, what's going on in this, in this congregation, in this church. In fact, it's fantastic to hear there's another team going, I'm right in saying, uh, in October of this year uh, to see uh, the work of Cho and to meet uh, the people whose money and prayers that you're helping. So, bless you. Thank you very much. Um, as I was saying to uh, Tilly, Ed and Miranda uh, earlier on, um, there's three stories uh, in the Bible um, about the lost. And uh, today, um, I thought I would just develop some re- recent thinking that I've been having uh, and giving to this uh, and share with you a little bit about, well, what I hope is God's heart for the lost. And to do that, uh, and this is why I've asked you to hold this coin, is because I want to just uh, have a quick look at that middle story, the shorter story. Uh, and if you uh, want to get your Bibles out or you have them, it's Luke 15. I don't know what pa- if, whether you have church Bibles, um, and I certainly don't know what page number it is. But it's uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, chapter 15. And uh, it's the middle story. The woman and the lost coin. While you're finding that, um, just to reassure you, this isn't going to be a theological or mythological 
um, talk. I'm not an expert. I'm not a Bible scholar. Um, But I just thought it might be helpful to hang what you're doing as a church um, onto a a Bible story. This woman um, is uh, a poor woman, according to the commentaries. And uh, she's got ten coins, and one of them's missing. And it's been suggested, strongly suggested, that one of that these coins together make up her wedding dowry. That can't be proved, it's not written here, but those in the know and who look into the history of such things and, uh, and the context of passages suggest that it could be, well be her wedding dowry. Whatever it is, uh, we know that she's absolutely panicking about finding the coins a little bit akin to, uh, and this isn't the reason why I was late today, I, I hasten to add, um, that, but I lost my car keys this morning. Always put them in the key box, should be the rule, and I never do. And I couldn't find them, and I was running a bit late anyway, and blah, 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 and a sense of panic uh, sets it, set in. Couldn't find them. But that was nothing compared to the panic and worry, the anxiety that this woman was experiencing. She, um, the story says that she, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't this woman light a lamp and get out a broom? Why would you get out a broom to find something? Well, uh, in this woman's case, in the, the, the houses in, in that part of the world, in that time, wouldn't have had um, any windows, uh, or hardly any windows. And so it would have been very dark. And so, yeah, lamp obviously to see, but also the broom so she could hear uh, when she swept the coin and it knocked against the wall. Uh, that's why she had the, 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 um, the broom. This isn't really about coins, though, is it? It's about people, and that's what we were saying with the children earlier on. It's about a father's heart, God's heart, to be in relationship with the lost We could do a whole sermon series on what is meant by the lost. But in the context of today, and in the context of um, the organization that I work for, Tear Fund, um, we are all about working with those who are trapped through no fault of their own, but trapped in poverty. And God wants to to do something about it. Just a quick skim of the whole Bible tells us that the God that we love The Christ that we follow is interested in the whole of people's lives. And so we're about, uh, and you're about, um, as a church, looking and wanting to be God's agents as we reach out to the whole of people's lives. But fundamentally, these three stories are about God's heart to be in relationship, the Father's heart. Last time I came and uh, spoke here, um, I was dad to three children. I still am, in a way. But last May, uh, our 16-year-old precious boy, Benjamin, died. Um, He died after a three-month illness battling with double pneumonia. And um, we still miss him beyond words. And I'm getting a bit emotional now. But I'm a proud dad of three children, one of whom is now safe in the father's arms. Two that I'm, me and Lindsay are trying to bring up in the ways of God. 
And it's given Benjamin's uh, passing and his illness and the care and the love that I, I had for him uh, has given me a sort of glimpse from a human perspective of what it must be like for God the Father to be out of relationship with children, his children, the children that he's made. You'll struggle to find the word mission in the Bible. And the reason I'm um, saying that is because sometimes I think, what is this all about? Why should Brighton Road Baptist Church be interested in um, other people who choose not to come, uh, come to the Lord or indeed, why should they, you be interested in people who live thousands of miles away on the other side of the world? The short answer is, is because God wants us to be, has chosen us to be his agents and his channel to bring them into relationship or introduce them to the Father. So mission, what we call mission, is hard to find in the Bible as a word. But the root word, the root meaning of mission is uh, there isn't really an an English translation but the closest we get is two two words one is sending and the other is relationship sending into relationship and if you're kind of turned off by mission and the whole sort of mission scene and think it's just for those who are interested just just hear that just take that on board that mission is all about sending and about relationship And if we come into that understanding, then it kind of opens our thinking and gives us some creative thoughts about how we can all be involved. And a quick look at the Bible tells us that sending and sending for relationship purposes can be found all the way through the Bible. God himself is relationship, isn't he? Three into one. And then in Genesis 12, he sends an 88-year-old Iraqi old man um, without a pension plan into another, into another country, Abraham. And then we read through the prophets, the people that he sent to proclaim God's love and just ways, his justice, his desire to be, God's desire to be in relationship with his people. He then sends, I'm uh, just fast-forwarding here, just picking out a few examples, John the Baptist who's sent to prepare the way for the one, that, the ultimate one that God sends, his own son, Jesus. And then Jesus himself sends out the disciples, doesn't he? Right out into the country lanes, into the cities, into the towns. Um, the move of the Holy Spirit scatters people, sends them out, humanly speaking, through persecution at times. But nevertheless, God has a purpose and he sends his people out. The first church sends out people like Paul and Silas and Barnabas. And then, of course, today, nothing's changed. We are sent out to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, locally, nationally, and internationally. Alongside this sending... Again, just a snapshot view of the Bible. We can see that God has a heart for those who, for whatever reason, have become disconnected or disenfranchised. 
especially those who are poor and on the margins of society. In fact, if you look at um, the very the first verse of Luke 15, it starts with this complaint from the Pharisees that he's hanging out with tax collectors and other, other dodgy characters. That's the context in which Jesus was telling these three stories. And then let's remind ourselves of the words that Jesus was reading from uh, that scroll he was handed in the synagogue um, from Isaiah as he stands up in uh, Luke chapter 4. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And by the way, the use of poor in Luke is economically destitute or marginalised for whatever social, cultural or religious uh, reason. So he sent me, says Jesus, to proclaim release for the captives and to give sight to the blind and to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's not just one passage that I've happened to pluck out to, uh, from the Bible to support my, my case today. There are over 300 verses in the Bible about the poor, about poverty, and God's deep, deep concern for both. Right, back to your coin. I said we'd get back to your coin. Have a look at it. Feel it. Think about how the value of the coin that you're holding. Is it 1p? Is it a pound? Is it two pounds? Is it shiny? Or is it grubby? Is it fresh out of the mint? Or has it been around a few years? I was um, in the co-op yesterday in the village where I live in Hampshire and uh, I bought something with a fiver and I think it came to four, well, it did come to 4.99 and I heard myself saying to him because I didn't want a 1p coin uh, in my pocket I said don't worry about the change I don't know what he did what he said he did put it in his who would put a 1p in their pocket he's probably put it in a tin or something like that or they've somewhere out the back they've got a tin for good causes but then as I was walking out of the co-op it occurred to me is that what God does thinking about the the parable of the lost coin What does God think about the one P's of this world? Compared to how I, in my lifestyle and in my attitudes, in my prejudices and discriminations, how do do I treat the one P's? The grubby, low value, easy to be trodden on, tossed aside, or just given without any thought to somebody else. How do I regard the one piece, the brown coins of this world. How do you, how do you reach out, how do you interact with the one P people of this world? Our world continues to sort of toss away low-value people to put them to one side or to push them to one side, to overlook the ones that are grubby, that seem pretty worthless. And just the institutionalised ways that we human beings structure our lives into communities or not communities means that those that are disenfranchised remain there. Because poverty, as I was saying earlier on, tricks people into thinking that they have, not only that they have nothing, but they are nothing, and leaves them feeling worthless. 
And those who are, those of us who are interested in about doing something about it and say, no, in the name of the Lord, that's not acceptable, that's not good enough. The scale of poverty that we face in the world today deems us, if we're not too careful and work together, pretty powerless to do anything about it. The numbers are overwhelming. You just have to listen to the prayers that we just prayed and the uh, and look at the headlines. The fact that one and what was it Ben was saying earlier? One point four billion people live in poverty. One point eight billion people. Well, sorry, one eight, one in eight people on the planet today will go to bed hungry, not peckish, but so starving that many times they have to tighten a belt around them to stop the agony of the hunger pains. 2.5 billion people, 2.5 billion, I can't get my head around that number, don't have anywhere to go to the toilet today. The scale of poverty is enormous. But what this passage is saying is that God's heart and the way his perspective, the way he sees things, is in stark contrast to how we perhaps see the problem and the issues. That's the whole point of this parable, that each person is precious and God is relentless, relentless about his desire to be in relationship and care for each one of those people. That is God's heart. That is his mission. Look at your coin again, if you may. I'm no world expert on coins, and this, I know, all I know is this, this doesn't work with a euro. So if you've got a euro, <laughs> this won't work. But I'm guessing most people in the room are holding sterling in their hand. Now have a look at the coin. I'm guessing that the vast majority of coins that you're holding have got a face, a head on it. Heads or tails. Is that, is that right? I would like to just tell you, just very quickly, one story, if we can have the slide up, uh, of a lady, a Cambodian lady, uh, and this represents one face of the millions of coins in the world that this story represents. It's a lady whose name is uh, Koem Hong, who um, runs a clothing business, a second-hand clothing business. And she's been absolutely, her life has been transformed due to the support of Cho, your friends in Cambodia. She's um, been supported by their micro-loan project, which offers low-interest loans to individuals and families living in poverty. And um, it loans out low-interest loans to people who run shops or um, other kinds of business to expand their business and provide enough income um, for them to support themselves and their families. Not so that they can buy a new car or anything like that, just for the bare essentials and necessities of life. Here's her story. My name is Koem Hong and I'm 52 years old and I live in a village near Poi Pet with four, my four children. I run a small business which sells second-hand clothes to earn a living for my family and support my children and to ensure that they can have some kind of education. Before receiving a micro-loan from Cho, 
I wanted to extend, extend my, and expand my business by buying more clothes, but I couldn't afford to do so. The money that the business was producing was not enough, was not sufficient to support my family, to feed them. My husband used to be unemployed. Fortunately, he's now got a job working in pulling carts near the Thai border. One day I attended a seminar run by the microloan staff from Cho, and where, that's where I learned about how to run a business and to earn more money and manage earning and spending, all of which contribute to running a successful business. I was so encouraged to apply for a microloan at Cho's office that I went along eagerly, and they told me how I could help expand my own business and I was offered a far lower interest rate from Cho than any other organisation in the area. Me and my family, therefore, decided to take a microloan, which I used to buy more stock so that my business can expand and I can earn more money to support my family and send my children to school. My vision is that my family will be prosperous, not rich, but prosperous enough because of this business and that my children will be successful in their education. I hope that my clothing business will continue to expand each year as a result of the microloan I received. I'd like to thank Cho and all the people who support Cho so much for providing this service, as my family are now far more comfortable financially than I could ever dream of, and I can afford my children's education. Isn't that brilliant? That's what your prayers and your gifts, your support as a church are doing for people like this. You see, God isn't just interested in our souls, which he most certainly is, but he's interested in the whole of our beings, the whole of our lives, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, the social, the psychological. It's what we call in churchy language and in mission circles, integral mission, whole life, Christ-shaped ministry. And at Tear Farm, we've come to realise that when local churches and local people through those churches recognise their potential as individuals and as community, then transformation beyond the human dreams happens. God takes over. People recognise that The answers to their poverty do not lie in handouts and external aid organisations, but the answers lie within themselves. And so self-help groups and cooperatives and small groups are set up to use the Bible as a manual as well as a holy book, telling stories about the feeding of the 5,000 and the potential that can be released, working in... uh, Workshops, vocational training, skilled workshops, and no small amount of hard work. People begin to see that God can transform their lives and that they're made made in his image and they're loved to bits by the God who is their creator. Tirfun, as you probably know or may well know, uh, has a crazy audacious vision to see 50 million people lifted out of um, physical and spiritual poverty. Uh, We might be crazy, but we're also realistic, and we know that this can only happen through 
the generosity through the partnership the very, and the relationship of the local church, of local churches here in the UK. And so that, again, is why I want to finish how I started by saying thank you, thank you, thank you for your partnership, your friendship, your relationship through Tear Fund with Cho. I realise that perhaps not everybody, you know, it might be you're a visitor, it might be that you're, um, you're fairly new to the church or the, for whatever circumstance you haven't kind of got on board with this whole partnership at the moment. Outside there's a, a, tier, a small tier fund display and there's a book there called Little Book of Growth. And I'd love to give you one of those books because it's a great book, it's interactive. There's, um, at the beginning and at the end there's like sheets of seeds that you can... I'm not, this is where I get a little bit confused because I'm not very good, I haven't got green fingers. But basically, you soak the sheet and it grows something. And be assured, it's nothing dodgy. It grows grows something beautiful. And it just basically to demonstrate that just the smallest amount that you can give, whether that's a pound a month or 12 pounds a month, changes lives. And in between those growth sheets are whole stories and ways that you can be engaged about this amazing God that we believe in and how he's transforming the lives of many. Acts 2 says this, almost like a throwaway verse. It says, the Lord added to their number. That came about because, of course, the God, God's Holy Spirit had just been given at Pentecost. But from a human perspective, it happens because people loved what they were seeing, the sharing of possessions, this community radical living. People loved it, and they said, yeah, I want to buy into that. I want to give my whole of my life to that. And that is still going on today. Acts 2, in action, in Cho, and the many other partners and projects and local churches across the world. I took my daughter to Costa Coffee yesterday. She loves these cream cooler things. £3.20 for a medium-sized cream cooler. And I was holding it, I don't always have a guilt trip, but as I was holding it, I was thinking, do you know, that could change lives. Just a pound a month can change three lives over three years. Twelve pounds a month can change 36 lives. Lift them out of physical and spiritual poverty for good. Six, uh, yeah, six pounds a month, 18 people, 18 lives over a three-year period. It's amazing. It doesn't take much, as that little book of growth will tell you. I'd love to give you one of those. And if you're interested in having one, because I'm a little bit of a Dell Boy trotter, uh, I would ask you to fill out one of these and consider how much that you might be able to give above the generosity of what BRBC is already doing, uh, even if it's just a pound a month or even less than that. Um, if, you're, if you're just interested in about doing that, but not in a position today to, um, um, I was going to say sign your life away, it's nothing like that, Um, but fill in the financial things. If you're not in a position to do that, then there's a box you can just tick, fill out your name and address, and all that would be is committing you to taking a phone call from my colleagues at Tier Fund within the next week or two. So do do have a look, and um, really consider taking one of those, because I can promise you, and the guys that went last time to Cho and the people who are going in October will tell you that it really, really, really does make a difference. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just want to offer ourselves and pray this prayer together. 
May you bless us with a discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships, so that that we may live deep within your heart, Lord Jesus. May you, Lord God, bless us with anger at injustice and oppression and exploitation of people here on your planet, so that we may play our small part in working for justice, for freedom and for peace. May you, Lord God, bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain and for rejection, from rejection and starvation and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort and turn their pain into joy through our work and prayers. May you, Lord God, bless us with enough foolishness of heart to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.